the month of June, we've been studying a little tiny book in the Old Testament called the Minor Prophet Habakkuk. It's only three chapters long, so if you're just joining us online or just joining us in person, it might take you a second to locate that. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're in the last chapter of Habakkuk, and we're going to drill in on verse 2. We're going to see what happens after Habakkuk has asked these heart-rending questions. I mean, he literally has been so authentic and so honest with God and so upfront with God. Habakkuk doesn't like his culture. Habakkuk doesn't like his circumstances. Habakkuk thinks the things that are transpiring in a geopolitical realm are wrong. Habakkuk thinks the things that are happening in his nation are wrong. He thinks things that are happening in other nations are wrong. The bottom line is Habakkuk is a really unhappy guy, and he blames God for it. He says, God, you're not listening to me. How long do I have to keep asking for you to do something? God answers, and then Habakkuk comes back with a second question because he doesn't like the answer and says, look, why are you still silent? Why are you creating this scenario where those who are more wicked than we are are being used by you to judge us? I'm still discontent. God answers again in a powerful way. In fact, the last part of chapter 2 God gives Habakkuk five different areas, and it's rough areas where he's going to hold this foreign nation accountable for their behavior. He's going to hold them accountable for their extortion, for their greed, for their bloodshed, for their drunkenness and out-of-control behavior, for their idolatry, for their affection and loyalty to false gods. And it's as if Habakkuk gives up when you get to chapter 3 and says, okay, I don't like what's happening. I'm unhappy with my circumstances. I don't even like the answers that you've given me. But something deep in Habakkuk's heart convinces him he'll still trust God. The God is powerful. The God is majestic. And in fact, in chapter 3, there's what's called a theopathy. Don't, 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 don't worry about the technicalities of that. It's when God shows up in natural ways where we see God. This occurs throughout the Scriptures. Probably the most classic is the leading of the Israelites, where during the day, God showed up as a pillar of fire to guide them and direct them for 40 years as they wandered aimlessly around the desert while a whole generation dies off in judgment and a new generation is set to move into the promised land. At night, it's a pillar of fire. By day, a pillar of smoke. God's presence is obvious. And that's what takes place after you get past verse 2 and verses 3 through 15. You see God's supremacy. You see God's desire to liberate his people. You see God's triumph. But in verse 2, you see, Habakkuk's prayer of faith. In fact, God said in chapter 2 to Habakkuk, said, look, Habakkuk, when circumstances, when life isn't the way you want it to be, the righteous live by faith. And now we get to see Habakkuk's response. Now, let me take a parenthetical moment to say, not only is this a great prayer for revival, a great way to live out our faith and to articulate our faith, but guys, I think the formula here is an excellent way to help our children have faith and see the importance and the validity of faith. 
at all stages in our journey. I heard from one of my best friends this morning. He's a pastor in Singapore. It's the middle of the night. He's already had Father's Day services in Singapore, and he's calling me this morning to, to wish me a happy Father's Day and hope this service goes well. He was praying for us, but it's about 1.30 in the morning now, so he's probably not praying for us at this point. And we shared because we've been best friends and we've been co-pastors together and, and accountability partners for, for multiple decades now. We shared the stress and the anxiety of being a dad. I would love to tell you that it should feel like I've accomplished that. My children are grown. They're adults. They are successful in their faith. They are successful in their relationships. They have been successful in their education. They are successful in their careers. They are respected in their career choices and in the workplace. There is basically nothing about my kids I can't be proud of. They're just excellent kids. The reason for that was celebrated on Mother's Day. <laughs> they are all those things as individual grown adults, but yet almost on a daily occurrence, I am anxious about the responsibility of being their dad. I had kind of a dual role. I was their dad, and I was and continue to be their pastor. And so implementing faith, making faith applicable in my children's life became an absolute importance, both as a dad and vocationally as a pastor. And anyone who would say to you, this is an easy thing to do, has either never done it or is just bold-faced lying. Of all the things I've faced, of all the apprehensions I've dealt with in life, being a dad is typically one of the hardest. You just don't want to mess up. I'm from day one, when the doctor looked at me and handed me this little tiny infant, I didn't want to take it. And I could... I could and I'm not a typical what-if sort of person. I don't always think in terms of contingencies. But suddenly in that moment, everything that could possibly go wrong flashes through my head. And then after everything's settled down, you know, you're sitting out in the lobby and you're waiting and you're thinking, we got this to do and we got this to do and we got this. And it was overwhelming. Dads, I'm going to be honest with you. Apart from an excellent and wonderful marriage, the one thing that has sustained me over and over again as a dad is my faith. And I pray it on a regular basis the same way Habakkuk prays. I pray this for our nation. I have prayed this for our church. As God did a miraculous turnaround in our church and made it the fun and energetic place that touches lives and changes lives that it is today. And I've prayed this for my kids and I've prayed this for myself. It's a simple prayer in verse 2. But the depth of it and the impact of it is huge. Lord Habakkuk says, after having complained and after expressed his concerns and after acknowledging his discontent, Lord, I have heard the report about you. I have heard of your fame is one way to translate that. Lord, 
I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In wrath, remember mercy. And dads, I want to just walk through that quickly with us this morning. And I would ask everyone else to join with us and then apply this prayer to other areas of your life. It is an easy prayer, appropriate prayer for our nation in these times. It is always an appropriate prayer for our families. It's always an appropriate prayer for our church. It's always an appropriate prayer for the things that are taking place around us because it centers us in the reality of our faith. And the reality of our faith, ironically, is not philosophical. Christianity is not a philosophy. We develop a biblical worldview. We want a biblical worldview. We use the scriptures as guidance for ethics and morals and decision-making. And so sometimes it is seen as a philosophy. But Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is not a segment uh, of, of conditions and circumstances that are designed in such a way as to improve the way we live. Christianity has always been, according to the scriptures, according to its foundation, a relationship, an intimate and meaningful relationship. Our faith is not based upon our philosophy. Our faith is not based upon our structures. Our faith is not based upon our activities or our heritage or our tradition. Our faith is solely and completely based upon the reputation of God because it's a, it's a, it's a relationship. Habakkuk starts with that reputation. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Dads, let me tell you, the thing that helps me the most in this area is reading the Scripture. And I'm not talking about reading the Scripture just for the sake of learning the moral precepts of our faith. I'm talking about learning the activity of God. Read the historical sections of Scripture. If you start to bog down in some area that's more geared towards technicalities and rules and ideas and concepts, go back and find the historical passages. Read about what God has done. Know his reputation. Understand his reputation. Live for his reputation. Base your faith on his reputation. God is an amazing God. Read through the first chapter of Genesis and see how God put this world into existence. Because your kids will question not only the existence of our world, but they will question their existence. Remind yourself of the magnificence of a God who put everything into place, everything into motion. Read the history of Israel. The times that God moved. The times when people were found in abject poverty. And God intervened in an amazing way. Sometimes food just arrives. Sometimes water comes out of rocks. Sometimes ravens bring food to feed. Those aren't just stories. We call them Bible stories, but the reason they exist is because that is the basis of our faith. God has faithfully moved and acted throughout history. And that reputation of God gives us an expectation on what he might do today in our lives. What he might do in my life, what he might do in your life, and most importantly, what he might do in our children's, in our grandchildren's lives. 
Lord, I have heard of your fame. I have heard of your actions. I am aware of the things that you have done. This is why testimony is so critical. Being able to tell the next generation what God did in our lives is critical. We can go through and we should go through and we should teach and we should, all of our teaching should be based on the word of God. And all of our classes met already this morning. Some will meet this evening. Some will meet Wednesday evening. There's activities taking place all week long to learn. But if you learn anything, learn what God has done. Remember it. Make his reputation a base for our faith, a foundation for our faith. We understand this. I mean, I could, how many, I mean, you know, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but wasn't it kind of cool in the video this morning to see Lance Berkman, if you're old enough to know Lance Berkman? Those of us who were Astros fans back in the days, it was great to see Lance Berkman. Man, his stats today still stand, and every once in a while as they show leading records, Lance's stats will come up in the, in the dialogue and in the graphics, and you're thinking, gosh, man, he was a great ball player. It's his reputation. We know it. By the way, Lance just signed with Houston Baptist University. He is a Husky as of this summer. So go Huskies. I donated a lot of money to them for one of those successful educations, you know. And I'm glad Lance is going to be leading our baseball team at Houston Baptist University right here in our city because he has a good reputation. That is the truth. The truth is the reputation is what gets me by most of the time. It's the middle of the seventh inning. We're down by two runs, or worse than that, nobody scored a run, and the game's absolutely boring. And the only reason I stay, and the only reason I continue to stream the game is because I know, I know the reputation of the Astros. They won't do anything until the last inning. <laughs> I mean, how many people watched last Monday night's game? It was so absolutely boring. I mean, just nothing happened. The commentators are getting bored. They're losing track. They start talking about what they're doing this weekend at home because there's nothing to report on. You just got two pitchers battling out, going back and forth. And let's face it, nothing against Granky because he's a great guy, I think. He's at least entertaining. Um, but, you know, just watching pitch after pitch after pitch with nothing is just boring. Until the bottom of the ninth inning, when the Astros put three on base, fully loading them with only one out, and Jose Altuve comes up to hit a grand slam, his first grand slam here in Houston, his first grand slam as an Astro, only his fourth one career-wise. And then suddenly, you're laughing, but of all the people that left the stadium and turned off their TVs and turned off their radio, what? they're going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, what happened? Well, you should have known it was going to happen because you know the reputation of the best baseball team in the MLB. You know their reputation. Oh, they've had some bumps and some people got upset a while back when we took everything, you know. But anyway, we don't get into that. They're still, they were then and they are now the best baseball team. Our God is the best God. And he is the only team worth really cheering for. Habakkuk says, look, I know your reputation. I have heard the report. I have heard of your fame. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. 
respect. I wanted my kids to know that our God is a God who does something. I never asked my kids to sign on to an academic construct of philosophy. I asked them to meet a real God. And then I asked them, as they learned about him, to stand in awe of him, respect him. Habakkuk, and the thing that's so, so important, we got to keep reminding, not because I want to be negative, but we got to keep reminding ourselves, Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. I stand in awe. I respect you. And the reason that's critical is because Habakkuk isn't happy with God. Their relationship isn't the best in this moment. God isn't doing what Habakkuk wants done. And Habakkuk's circumstances are not the circumstances Habakkuk wants to experience. He wants it all changed. He wants it all completely different. And there's no promise from God yet that it will be different. All God has said affirming Habakkuk's discontent is, yes, I am aware of how wicked the Chaldeans are, and I will take care of it. Habakkuk, it's my problem, and I will deal with it. It's not your problem. Let me deal with it. And having been rebuked in that sense, Habakkuk is now able to say, I stand in awe. I respect you. I may not get you. I may not understand you. I may not be cognizant or or able to decide why you're not doing what I want you to do in this moment, but I stand in awe of you. I know your reputation and I respect you. And that leads to hope. It leads to what I'm calling a reemergence. Because all of this is Habakkuk looking back on what God has done because he's not sure God's going to do it now. And Habakkuk's prayer describes the hope for reemergence. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. Reemerge. God, I believe these things. I've heard these things. I know these things. Now I want you to do them today. Do them in our time, the scripture says. Do it again. If I'm having troubles paying my bills, then God, I know you can provide because you have provided before. And this applies not only to the teaching of scripture, but to the experience of faith. I can tell you how God can feed 7,000 people. Probably all men, by the way, they counted crowds back then, and which could potentially put it up to three or 4,000 people. I mean, twice that, nearly 21,000 people. I'll get the math right eventually. Three times is 21,000, two times is four. You, you get the basic idea. God did a lot that day. But I could tell you story after story after story, but you have reservations for Father's Day, and I don't want to do that of when we couldn't pay the house payment, when we were struggling to figure out how to work out the utilities, when we weren't sure how to pick up groceries, and the times when I messed it up as a dad because Carrie sent me to the grocery store, and I found a huge, her favorite story is I found this huge, giant block of cheddar cheese for like $15. And I'm thinking, how cool, we just cut off of that. We'll live for a week. My budget was $15. You can imagine when I got home that day and she looked at me and said, all you bought was a block of cheddar cheese. Yeah, but we can just cut it off and eat it forever. That's not what I was thinking about feeding the kids for a week. I can tell you the times when people gave gifts that we didn't anticipate, 
when something went through and something sold or, or, or a conference or a speaking engagement came up that we weren't anticipating, I can, tell you, I can tell you over and over again times where God intervened. There is nothing wrong with us praying today. Do this again. God, provide again. God, provide work, move, heal. Healing is not just something for the Scripture. There are people all across this room, we can probably, we could probably raise hands on this. How many of us have seen somebody completely and fully healed? However the work was used, we prayed this morning together, one of the ladies in our church and her husband, we've been praying for healing and we prayed knowing God uses everything, every skill, every tool, every technological breakthrough, all those are gifts from God. And healing, whether it took place with a physical therapist or it took place miraculously beyond description, all healing is a gift from God. And God still heals. God heals not just our physical wounds, but he heals our hearts. How much of us have so much woundedness inside of us, but yet God's grace continues to heal. There's nothing wrong with praying and teaching our kids. Guys, teaching our kids, if God did this then, then we can believe God's going to do it now. Know his reputation. Have respect for that reputation and be willing to step out on that faith ledge and take that step of faith to say, God, I need you to do this now. I need you to reconcile this relationship. I need you to cleanse my heart from this sin. I need you to cleanse my life from this wrong activity. I need you to change and transform who I am because I don't want that lifestyle anymore. I need you to work in me. I need you to provide for me. I need you to take care of anything we ask. God has a history of doing it, and we can ask him to do it again today. His reemergence. And then his reprieve. Guys, I'm going to be honest, probably no area of my life has had as many mistakes and missteps as being a dad. Husband would give it a real close second. Habakkuk prayed for reprieve. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk knew that the judgment he was going to experience, he knew that the judgment the nation was going to experience was justified. They had broken God's standard of holiness. They, they deserved it. Just like the New Testament teaches each and every one of us, the wages of our sins, the results of our sins, the consequences of our sin, the paycheck of our sin is death. We deserve that death. But God steps in with his grace and loves us in spite of what we deserve. Habakkuk knew the circumstances were right and God was right. And the nation deserved what it was getting. But he still prayed for a reprieve. In wrath, remember mercy. Because at the end of the day, he is still our father. And he may be in heaven. But that doesn't dislocate him from loving us each and every moment. Every day is a new day. And whether your kids are brand new, just been born, as we've got infants in the room over in preschool, or your kids are grown and adults and making a lot of their own decisions, dads, every day is a new day. 
Don't let yesterday's mistakes keep you from doing it right today. Remember the reputation of God. Respect him. Ask him to do it again. Let him reemerge in this generation. We want our kids to be holy. We want our kids to be excited. We want our kids to be children of revival where they love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And when we make mistakes, just ask God to forgive. You know what? His reputation says that he will.